following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 117, Crosswind Landings, What's Your Limit? Coming up next on the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome aviators and airplane geeks to the show where we talk about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. You know, spring's upon us, and for many, this is the season where we start flying again from a long winter break. It also is the season of dynamic changes in weather and strong winds. Tonight, we're going to discuss one of the most important topics and one that can prevent most landing accidents, crosswind landings, and how to set our personal limits. Joining us this evening... We have with us aviators from various backgrounds, including flight instruction, new pilots, and airline pilots. You know, this should be a real interesting discussion. And most importantly, I hope you'll learn something about setting your own personal crosswind limits. Tonight, our co-hosts are Rick Felty, Victoria Newville, we also have Russ Wozleski, and Tom Frick. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey. Hey, hey Carl. Hey, hey. Let's do the pre-flight. Well, let's get started. We, uh, before we do get started, we just have a couple of announcements here. Uh, reminder that Sun and Fun's coming up, and our next episode is going to be live from Sun and Fun. Sun and Fun's from the 5th till the 10th of April. So if you can, go to sun-n-fun.org and listen to us live at Sun and Fun Radio. Uh, this year we're doing something a little bit different. I know, Tom Frick, you know something about this. Uh, we are actually going to be, uh, and I think can we can announce this. I, I'm hoping I'm not uh, spoiling it, but we are going to be live on the flight line, too, with the radio station. Should you be, if you're at the show, you're going to hear us all over Sun and Fun until the show starts, and then we pass it over to the folks that actually run the show. But I'm really excited about that. Plus, it's always streaming on liveatc.net slash SNF. So make sure you listen to it on liveatc.net slash SNF, and uh, it'll be streaming all year long, but specifically live during the show. Uh, you know, actually, it's, it's what's really cool about this year is we're going to have some special guests, and we always do, and we always try to break our record. We usually have the bre- record for the longest podcast. Imagine that, me being long-winded. Come on, guys. You know, it's like I, I, I couldn't believe that we, we broke it the one year at two-hour mark, and the next year went a little bit over the two-hour mark. So uh, we'll definitely try to do that this year and have some really cool people on and great guests from other podcasts, too, and some really, really fun people. Also, uh, feedback, guys. Thanks so much, listeners, for all the feedback. I know I have a challenge getting back to you if you do actually – Send me a voicemail. Uh, I My wife only lets me work like 12 hours a day, so I can't respond to every voicemail, but I can. One of us can respond to the emails, and also if you go onto our website, stuckmikeavcast.com, and put a 
comment, or email us directly. So make sure you go out there and check it out. Also, uh, this episode and most of our episodes are sponsored by AviationCareersPodcast.com. Of course, that's my other podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in a career in aviation, this will help them navigate a path towards their career goal. AviationCareersPodcast.com provides career coaching, interview preparation, and the largest online directory of scholarships. So visit AviationCareersPodcast.com today. Well, other announcements, and this is a real fun one. I uh, I saw this really cool uh, picture that Rick Felty sent me. He was at a really, really interesting museum. One of the best pictures of Rick I've seen because he was happy and he had something really cool in the background. What was that, Rick? Yeah, so it's very funny because we had just done a show a couple episodes ago where I think one of the topics was um, our favorite aviation museums, and, and I... I think I came up with one here in the Massachusetts area at the last minute because I remembered that years before I'd been, but I hadn't really been to too many. And um, and, and uh, anyway, I I was making a trip for a, a quick weekend trip to the Washington D.C. area for uh, a family aunt's 80th birthday, and I wasn't really sure where in the area she was, and so we had a little time to fill. So I said, "Well, I'll do a little little research on." on what's in the area. And, and, and literally, you know, the next town over is where the uh, Udvar Hazy Museum is. Um, and I, which is just, you know, an amazing museum. And I, I couldn't believe that I hadn't quite put those pieces together, but I did fortunately in plenty of time. So we planned ahead to, to go there. And, um, and I just, you know, I, I, like I said, I feel like I'm reviewing a movie that everyone's seen because it's such a, a famous place. And, and so many people have been there. And I want to go back because we, you know, it was we were we were we were squeezing it in, but we got to spend a lot of time. And part of the part of the reason I really wanted to go um, was because I had gotten the privilege of being at the final um, shuttle discovery launch in person in um, in uh, Florida as uh, as a sort of social media um, person at the time. I, I managed to weasel my way into that, cool. and uh, and that was an amazing life experience to be able to, after having grown up in Florida to, you know, d- during the Apollo years to, um, to be there for a launch of that kind and have it be the last one. And then, you know, and I knew that once I knew where that uh, that shuttle had ended up. I needed to go visit it somehow, you know. So um, that was sort of I made a beeline for that for the discovery, which is amazing. And uh, you know, it's as I think I said in one of the posts I had. It's about as close as you can get. Um, I mean, I, we we got we got closer than you'd normally get for that launch because of the access we had, but nowhere near as close as 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 you get to get at uh, Udvar Hazy. Which and it's, so it's amazing. I, I could have. You know, I could have spent all day just in that room, and uh, and yet there's so many other things there. It's incredible. So I was I was uh, I was floating. I took so many pictures. I mean, you know, it was it was amazing. So yeah, I was I I was a little. It was like Christmas. You know, pretty cool. <laughs> Christmas for all those airplane geeks out there. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, it, it's interesting for all those folks that are interested in aviation and history. Some amazing yeah. history too. And and just for to clarify, this yeah. is part of that National Air and Space Museum. This is yeah. the Udvar Hazy Center. This is. I, which I think is because, I mean, I assume it's at some point they went, wow, we're getting a lot of stuff. Because I remember when I was a kid, this didn't exist. I don't know when this was made. Oh, 2003. Yeah, of course it didn't exist. Um, but it's pretty clear that the reason it does, which is they, you need space. And it appeared, you know, they, except for a couple of the key major, major um, spacecraft and, and, air, and airplanes uh, from history that are downtown, I think, everything else is in this location. And there's a lot of great stuff there. Interesting, great, and we'll have a link yeah. to that. And uh, I think yeah, you like have the, some like pictures. The Enola the, the Gay is there. Oh, um, cool. And you know, and and there's a there's a um, 
SR-71 Blackbird that's featured right as you walk in and um, you know just just a range of, of things how you know uh, helicopters you, you know you name it there's a whole commercial section there's mili- a military section there's of course you know where discovery is there's just a, a ton of great um, other additional space stuff including satellites and uh, some some extra Apollo stuff uh, from that period so um, yeah it's just a blast and it's beautiful it's beautifully done uh, you know I just so many of the planes are hanging in flight format you know flight angle like they're they're up near the the ceiling banking and turning and, and so, you know, I sort of, because I do the media stuff I do, I particularly like the visuals, which were just wonderfully, you know, set up and, uh, everything's lit just in a great way. And then there's a lot of nice, uh, interactive stuff. Um, have my son with me and a lot of stuff for him to learn and, and do. So, uh, yeah, highly, you know, obviously highly recommend that one if you're in the Washington DC and I'm, I'm, I'm I think we're going to be going back. So, I mean, I know we will eventually, but I, I think soon. <laughs> Oh, what a great opportunity for yeah. your son, too. I mean, go back and tell the friends, hey, look what I did. That's so yeah. cool. Well, and they have a video of that launch, so I could stand there with him. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in our family at the time when, when I went to that shuttle launch. I said, and, and there was, you know, there was the video of it, which you could watch on the internet, but we're standing underneath the thing <laughs> that's launching. So it's just perfect. <laughs> see, now, see that? That's that. And that's, there it is going into space. Pretty cool. And I was standing right there, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was really, it was really pretty special, so. Yeah, it's always special going to that. Yeah, I tell you, it's one of the few museums I, I still get butterflies in my stomach when I go. And uh, just, just looking there in, in awe of the, the size, the scale, and also the fact that oh. this is the actual item that uh, was and the number And the number of, pl- of planes that are sort of bordering on experimental at the time, you know, just th- that someone had to, you know, have the passion to try that out. But, you know, various places you just stand there and go, oh, I don't know that I would get into that. But somebody in 1957 did. It was like a, you know, single man gyro or something. And it's, it, there's a lot of uh, personal sacrifice and uh, inventiveness and, and invention baked into so much in there that you, you, you can't help but see that. Well, that's cool, I'm, and we definitely put a link out there. That was awesome, Rick, and yeah. and we had, and there's some pictures I'd like you to share too, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll get them. I'll get you a bunch of them. Yeah, that's that's totally cool because you do yeah. take great pictures. Well, I uh, had that. You know, I was smart enough to bring the wide angle because that's what you need in a yeah. place like that to, to. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff. So I'll get them to you. Awesome. Hey, and before our next announcement, a uh, big shout out to the folks at the Airplane Geeks, the Airplane Geeks podcast. Every year they go to the Fly Day. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Rick, but there's a Fly oh. Day every year. At, at the Udvarhazi. Oh. I have a couple friends that have flown in it, uh, in Stearman's, and yeah. uh, they have rides. It's uh, it's a whole lot of fun. It's a family day. It's wonderful. And cool. uh, Airplane Geeks are always there, live, every year. Maybe this year we uh, could try to do it. Do you it, know when uh, that, like, what time of year that usually uh, is? No, I don't. It's usually in May. Thank you. May? Okay. Yeah. I have friends cool. that fly to it, and I've been meaning to go, so we should have a, like, stuck mic reunion. Yes, yeah, nice. We definitely should. Reunion, and, and possibly meet for the first, first time. time. <laughs> yeah, first time reunion. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, cool. thanks, Rick, and uh, and we'll put a link to that, and also great great stuff that they've been done at the Airplane Geeks. Look up the Udvar Hazi, and they have some really cool live shows there, interesting interviews. Well, hey, you know, uh, the other announcement we have is I, I think, Victoria, you have a scholarship you wanted to discuss. Yeah, um, my work is uh, actually offering a $500 scholarship. It can be for a student pilot or an already certified pilot for any um any phase of training that you want to do. So it's open to any U.S. citizen, and you can find the information on our website at air-pros.com. And uh, the due date is June 15th, so you do have some time, and we'll be announcing the winner at Oshkosh. And 
I was really excited to be a part of this, and I just wanted to share it with everyone that it's a great opportunity. It can pay for your check ride, your written. You know, if you haven't flown in a while, do some laps around the pattern with a CFI. We've got you covered. Awesome. That sounds great. And, uh, of course, that's in the Aerospace Scholarships Guide that we have online. Uh, we just Yay. put that into the guide. So uh, if you, you get a chance, download that. It's only uh, $10 for that. But, yes, wonderful thing that you guys are doing. I think that's terrific that more and more people are jumping into the bandwagon, on the bandwagon, to actually uh, provide scholarships. And I think it's terrific what you folks do. And, and, and what is that website again that you have there? It's Air, A-I-R dash pros with an s.com and yeah we're really excited to be giving back you know the industry is so good to us and it's something we believe a lot in so i'm really excited to you know be able to give a lucky winner the scholarship awesome and uh and we'll hopefully we'll be there maybe we could do it live that'd be cool I'd that'd like be to, awesome like to see that. yeah we'll try to try to arrange that that'd be really really cool like and and i tell everybody please go out there and apply for the scholarships because most times uh some of these or i should say some of the scholarships uh maybe one or two or three people apply it's it's uh you just have to spend a little time make an effort find out what the requirements are fill out the application send it in because that's the only way you're going to get this scholarship is if you apply so check it out uh, at uh, at the website airpros and we'll put a link to that website thanks victoria yeah thank you now entering cruise flight well, let's move on to our main discussion. I think that's it for the announcements. We had quite a few this evening. Uh, actually, this next topic is really important. I feel, and, and the statistics show, that most uh, landing accidents, and of course they're usually non-fatal, can be prevented if uh, we just do a little bit better job on crosswind landings. And our discussion this evening is crosswind landings. What is your limit? You know, one of the things that we have a tough time doing as pilots is... Uh, Defining our personal minimums as far as flying is concerned and wind, weather, etc. And this time of year, you know, we're going into April, May, you know, March is almost over. We're, we're talking about minimums that are going to affect us both, you know, as confidence builders and also financially. Because, you know, financially, we would really have a big problem going out and flying again if we bent the prop or broke the prop or the airplane. So uh, crosswind landings are incredibly important. I do want to actually hear a little bit from uh, both our CFIs on this evening uh, about their experiences recently uh, with crosswind landings and the challenges. I was wondering, you know, Tom, have you been having, I, I know the winds have been been uh, interesting lately. Have you been out there doing some crosswind landings with your students? Oh, absolutely. And and it's uh it's if I didn't do crosswind landings, we would never fly. Um, it's been kind of weird here on the west coast of Florida this this uh, this winter. Um, we've had just lots of winds. Just seems like week after week, they don't want to seem to go away. Um, here, just in the last couple of days, um, you know, here we're coming up on April, and uh, they they finally have calmed down a little bit. But um, they've actually been bad enough to where we've we've had to you know scrub flights because it, it gets to the point where it starts getting dangerous. Right, right. And we're going to talk a little bit about defining those levels of, of being too dangerous for the aircraft we fly. And Russ, you also, have you been doing some crosswind landings lately up there in Oklahoma? Well, you know, we have kind of an interesting situation in Oklahoma here. We are obviously known for having a lot of wind. I mean, there's even a song about it or state song, right? So, so Oklahoma is windy. But what we don't always get is a lot of crosswind. And so it's it's hard to find days where the crosswind, where we have some, but it isn't it isn't crazy. Often when we do have crosswind, it's, you know, 30 knots or something of crosswind. So, 
So finding days where you've got a good, you know, five or 10 knots or so of, of crosswind can be a little bit challenging. So we get a lot of practice in, um, headwind conditions and, you know, pretty strong wind conditions at that. But, but sometimes, like I said, it does take that, Hey, there's good crosswinds today. Let's go flying. <laughs> that kind of thing. So we have to kind of, kind of, uh, pick and choose on those. When I was teaching in Ohio, the situation was was a lot different. There at the airport I was at, Wright Brothers in Dayton, they had a lot it was a lot more common to have some pretty good crosswinds there just due to the runway orientation and prevailing winds. But uh so so yeah, we, we spend our time a little bit uh looking for some crosswinds sometimes, but but when we get them, absolutely take advantage of it. So, you know, Tom was talking, it seems like there's more utility in the aircraft if we do know how to make a crosswind landing. You're discussing, you know, the winds can be strong. There are other wind challenges like wind shear and, and heavy winds that, you know, sometimes you land and you stop. All of a sudden, you, you know, you have to push the power up just to get off the, the runway. So there are many different challenges there, but we specifically want to talk about crosswinds. And, uh, and one of the things that this comes from, by the way, this discussion is, is one of the, the FAA safety seminars of which I do. This is one of the things they're really pushing here. So these are the wind challenges. As you heard from Tom and Russ, uh, your crosswinds, gusty winds, wind shears is really important to understand. And there's times that you just can't go and there's limitations. So Russ and also Tom, I'll start with you, Russ. Do you have uh, a session with your students? Do you discuss with, with them uh, what their limitations should be? Well, of course, with any any pre-solo student, we've we talk a lot about the the wind limitations and how that I'm going to specify certain wind limits on them when I endorse them for solo, just as as Tom does and every other flight instructor, I hope, <laughs> does. Uh, but my general limitations for wind are uh, 15 knots steady state, uh, maximum of a seven knot gust. So yeah, they can solo in 15 gust 22. Of course, they've flown in that around here a lot. Uh, it's necessary <laughs> around here to fly in wind like that, or you just don't fly. But crosswind, uh, yeah, six or seven knots of maximum crosswind, uh, at least at first, until they have some more experience. How about you, Tom? Do you have a certain limits that you, you set on your students? Is it something similar to what Russ was talking about? Um, they're almost identical to what Russ was talking about. And yeah, the, I have the same conversations with my students about when we're, you know, when, what they're looking for in the winds themselves and, and what is, um, you know, difficult about learning and flying in, in uh, stronger crosswinds, you know, and, and some of the uh, uh, limitations of the aircraft itself, why it's not wise to even go beyond that. So here we have two flight instructors that are telling us as students, you know, what we should do and, and giving us our limits. Now what we need to do is we need to help those students because someday they're going to be on their own. And so we need to formulate a plan as to figure out what your limits are. You could be an experienced pilot flying for 10 years and never never be shy. You know, always go out there and ask an instructor, hey, listen, I haven't flown in crosswinds. Can I go up with you? We're, you know, notice what Russ and, and Tom talked about. They talked about the beginner student. And what we need to realize, too, is that everybody is a student. We, I'm a student. I'm out there. I'm learning every day from the people that I fly with, and so should you. I know, Victoria, you have uh, a couple ratings in your belt now. And do you have, have you set limits for yourself as far as crosswinds are concerned? Um, I definitely do. I don't have limits knots-wise, but I have limits in experience-wise. I look at what aircraft I'm flying that day. 
and how long it's been since I've flown that aircraft. So I really want to know how comfortable I am. Um, I try not to wimp out just because it's a little gusty. Um, I always look at the airport. So if I'm taking off out of my airport, we have multiple runways. But if I'm landing at an airport that always only has one, I'm going to look at you know the direction of the wind and how much of a crosswind factor I'll really have. So if it's mostly down the runway, you know, I know I can handle that. But if it's, you know, very gusty and looks like it's going to be a big chunk of a crosswind, I might reconsider um, depending on how recently I've uh, flown. If it's been, you know, several months since I've flown in anything like that, I, I might reconsider or, you know, maybe ask a CFI to be with me. Um, cause there's no shame in asking for someone else to go along and, you know, it's more fun to share it with someone anyway. Right. It sure is. And, you know, I'm glad you said that cause that was going to be my next question. And, and I'm going to put this question to Rick first is, uh, have you ever decided after you got your license to, to jump in with an instructor? Obviously, uh, uh, you said yes, Victoria, but, but I know, Rick, you, you have your private pilot's mm-hmm. license. And is there any time that you felt uncomfortable and just said to the instructor, hey, can you come up with me? I didn't, I don't think I ever made, I was ever in a position where I wanted to, where I had time to fly and, and I, and I had someone available, but I could have had go, go with me. So, so I missed that opportunity or I haven't taken that opportunity yet. And it's a great idea because I probably do. Um, I mean, Victoria's used the phrase wimp out and, and I, and I probably would say that I'm very conservative about those decisions, but I, I had the same kind of calculus that, um, that she talked about, which is that <clears throat> the the airport I, I fly fly out of, um, you know, the runway orientations usually, if the wind isn't extreme um, or terribly gusty, are, are fine. That there's because you have a choice, uh, a flexible choice. That that's rarely an issue. Um, but then I would be careful about what's that day like and where am I where am I going? And I often because you know I don't it's it's pleasure flying right. So I don't and most of the time. I was just trying to go somewhere for the experience of going somewhere, not because I had to be there, um, which is very different from people who actually use uh, flying for, you know, specific purposes, either business or, or, or trips, you know, trips where they have to get somewhere that they really want to go. I was just trying to find a place I could go to um, comfortably. So I would often look at the winds and that would maybe make the choice between a couple of destinations for that flying experience for me. So, so I was, you know, cautious in that regard. For uh, with regard to crosswinds, and um, never really put myself in a tricky position, and but also to answer your question directly, no, did not um, did not take advantage of that, and that would be that would have been a you know that that is still a thing I should do. I get it because because then you're in the thing, and you can be you can be testing it out, and then there's somebody there who who can handle that you know, and and knowing you know obviously the the, the prior determination that the plane you're in can handle it as well. Right, right. So now we've heard from the instructors and also from those that are commercial pilots and instrument pilots and private pilots about what we do personally. But I, what, this evening, I want to discuss, you know, what we can do to help those that are listening 
as far as what they can do to determine what their crosswinds should be and, and what their limits, excuse me, should be on the crosswinds. So let's, let's take a step back for a second, and we're going to give, we have a couple really good examples of things that you can do with your instructor and things that you can do personally. Uh, but we'll step back a little bit and talk about this maximum crosswind component uh, that's actually in the pilot operating handbook uh, from, you know, 1975 to present. They've actually had this maximum crosswind component or velocity in the normal operations section. Uh, remember this, that that is not a limit. You know, that maximum crosswind uh, experience, and of course, is during flight testing for certification. Uh, but can that airplane be controlled in more wind? You know, probably or possibly. I, I, I'd say there's some test pilots out there that could do it, uh, but we don't know uh, without doing our own tests. And uh, and that's what we need to do. We need to figure that out on our own. So uh, so let's let's talk a, a little bit about how we can do that. But here's an interesting fact, by the way, uh, on the crosswind components, uh, the FAA for the type certification rules. Remember that uh, you know when the airplane's on the ground, it also has a limitation as far as taxing. And remember that that actually is on the ground, uh, a 90 degree wind crosswind, direct crosswind of 0.2 VSO is uh, actually it has to be controllable at that speed. So let's give an example. Say it's 50 knots is uh, VSO in your airplane, uh, stall speed uh, in the landing configuration. So say uh, that airplane must be able to handle a 10-knot crosswind. So 0.2 VSO, you got a 10-knot crosswind. So what about you? Can it handle more? Maybe. Possibly it can. So, so you can actually figure that out on your own by doing some of these things and some of these uh, different practices that we have. So how much can you handle? I talked to flight instructors here, and uh, we just discussed you're making limitations on yourself, but they also have limitations. We all have limitations. Uh, you know, with the airlines that we fly, we have a limitation on the aircraft, like the one that I fly, it's, it's 38 knots is our limitation that we can't go over that. But you have to look at total experience of a pilot and also recency of experience in that aircraft. And, and, and remember, too, there's different things at play into this, this experience. It's, you know, you may have a lot of stress in your life, hunger, fatigue. What's that going to do to you? That's going to make you actually not be able to perform quite as well as you could under normal circumstances. So that's with every flight. We have to define, you know, what, what it is that we can do and what, as far as crosswinds are concerned. And also, we have to, to take it down a notch on days where we're not Man, maybe we're not in our A game. This might be our B game. So maybe reduce that crosswind component a little bit. If you're feeling uncomfortable, there's a reason. Uh, you need to you know, test yourself and say, yes, this is a day to fly. This is not a day to fly. This is a day to grab my instructor. Or this is a day that we need to go out and fly with an instructor and discover what it is I can do. How can I handle it? And that's what I want to really discuss. So we have some really cool examples of how we can figure out what we can handle. You know, the FAA has some really good knowledge and some really good uh, publications out on how they can handle the different type of short field landings and also crosswind landings. And we're going to have some links to that. The folks out in, in the uh, FISDO out in Alaska have some really good stuff. So we're going we're gonna to link to that. And basically, it's going out and figuring out what your baseline is or what it is that you can do. Well, we have a couple of folks here. You know, I myself had some challenges with crosswinds when I started, but we have some examples as, as far as what we can do with our instructor. And I know, uh, Tom, you actually had uh, used a device 
uh, and I was going to segue to this later, but tell us a little bit about this device that you use, not the airplane. It's actually something indoors to help with crosswinds. Indeed. And um, I, I recently had a student who came into our school and um, was already a uh, certificated private pli- pilot. And uh, he uh, he came in the door and, and after sitting and talking for a while, he, he wanted to come fly with a with a flight instructor. And he said that he had had a, uh, a bad experience in the winds and, and it scared the death out of him. And he, he's like, I don't want to get back in the plane again. That's the point that it scared him to. So, you know, we talked about that for a little while. And the school that I have um, has a um, has a Redbird simulator that, um, you know, it's a class A simulator, full motion. And uh, we talked about uh, doing winds. And like I said, it's been blowing here pretty good in, in Florida this winter. So um, we were actually able to simulate the actual winds that were outside. And we flew it in the simulator and, and picked out all the pertinent points that he would have to be paying attention and what he needed to do. And the, I, I just love it when a student, you can see the light bulb come on. I mean, it's just the most gratifying thing in the world when all of a sudden they get it. And um, this guy got it. And, and we went out and flew it. And he was just... He was so grateful that he was able to, to kind of make that connection on what, what he needed to do and how he needed to respond in situations um, coming in on crosswind landings. Interesting. And now they now Redbird, if I understand correctly, and help me out here, don't, they have a device, I think they call it the crosswind machine. Have you heard of that? Hmm. No. Now, and I know they have it on their website, but I've seen it under an ad where they actually, it's just built specifically for crosswinds, and it's full motion. And uh, I saw it on a, on a video, pretty cool stuff. Uh, so we'll have to get somebody from Redbird to come in. But I think that's really neat what you just said, is you helped out with, it's not just the final uh, approach and landing, it's, it's setting up for the whole approach and landing into the airport to practice crosswinds. It's, uh, is that correct? Oh, indeed. You know, I mean, we all learned that pretty early that, you know, a good landing starts in the downwind. And, you know, we got to um, do uh, understand where the wind's coming from, be very aware of where it's coming from. And those are all the things that are going to help you as you as you um, set up for your approach and, and on final for uh, a landing in a crosswind. Interesting. You know, I, another thing that I like to do with crosswinds is I, I like to take people up to a, a really long runway and just, just go down that runway and, and be in the flare the whole time. You know, don't touch the ground, but let's, let's just go into that crosswind, that crab, and kick out the crab, and then, uh, and then let's fly down the runway and have that center line right under us all the way down all the way down the runway. So uh, that's that's a lot of fun, and I know uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of other people that have done that in the past. Victoria, I think you had that as an example that you've done with your instructor. Is that correct? Yeah, um, we actually did it on several different runways too. So, you know, we didn't go on the runway that was actively being used for landing. Um, we got permission to go on another runway where there was more of a crosswind. And it was a day that was gusting in the 20s. And it was a big eye opener. And it was nice to have someone with me. Um, and, you know, telling me how I was doing. And he said, basically, you know, just like what you said, kind of keep it in the flare, fly it down the whole runway, but never touch. And he said, do you feel like, you know, you could safely land this airplane? And that is kind of how it determined, you know, hey, would I, would I fly on this type of day with this type of runway? That's a great idea. And, you know, another thing that you can do, and I used to do this with, with students quite a bit as far as, you know, the crab and and then kicking out and then slip and and one of the things I would do is I'd take folks up to altitude, you know, above 500 feet and just follow a road, and keep that right below our airplane, the nose of our airplane, that road, 
And it's always a it's a constant changing motion uh, with your rudder and your ailerons to keep you right along the center line of that road. And then we take that experience and bring it right down to the runway. Um, I think another exercise I would love to hear from Russ, some other exercise that you might do with students as far as crosswind landings uh, and, and things that you've done in the past and, and possibly might implement in the future. Well, yeah, I, li- I like both of the examples that uh, that you and Victoria have talked about. Flying down the runway with the crosswind's a good one. Uh, finding a crossing runway is also a good one. Now, where I am currently, that's difficult. If you've ever looked at a sectional of of Oklahoma, every single runway is is north south. <laughs> so, so that that's that's pretty hard. And it's not quite every single, but it's it's a lot. I mean, really, look at the sectional, you'll see. But but at some airports, yeah, like like Victoria was talking about. You get you know maybe a runway that's directly into the wind and a one that's uh, perfectly uh, perpendicular. And what I've done is is you, you fly a normal file to the runway that's normally in the wind, and everything seems pretty easy. It's not a big deal. Then you adjust your pattern and you fly a final to the one that's directly crosswind, and all of a sudden, with the same exact wind, it's really hard. <laughs> and, and you know the student or me is sitting over there you know, sweating as we're controlling the thing. And it's the same exact wind, but it's amazing how much of a difference there is between between that having it all of a headwind or all of a crosswind. How how much difference that makes in just your ability to fly. So so seeing that and any and varying degrees in between is real important. Um, one thing I have seen that 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 is kind of along the lines of what we're going to talk about maybe here in a little bit is. We talk about the, the runway alignment and the amount of wind. And what we also need to consider, though, is not all airports are the same, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're building your crosswind experience, 20 knots of crosswind at one airport is not necessarily the same as 20 knots at another airport. Uh, a couple, well, One of the airports that I fly at here, if the crosswind is from one certain direction, it comes right over the hangars and gets real turbulent. And so that place is kind of difficult to to fly in a, in a crosswind. Now, there was an airport I used to fly at in another state too where it was sitting up on a little bit of a hill. So as w- when the wind was a headwind it was no problem, but when it was a crosswind to come up the hill, kind of spill over the trees and get pretty rough. Uh, conversely, there's another airport that I use a lot here in town. There is nothing around. <laughs> so so that crosswind it's it's fine. I, I'd go. I'd go there to get to get good, uh, good clean crosswind practice. I guess you'd call it. But uh, yeah, you need you need to be aware of your of your local environment and your uh, topography as well when you're when you're talking about how to deal with crosswinds and where you should go if you need to land somewhere else. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. That was one of the next things I wanted to talk about. Is is not it's not just the air airport. It's also going to be the same airport but different runways. Uh, if it's a big enough airport, I know there's one that I fly into at JFK where we have always on 13 left we have a crosswind from the right, which is a quartering tailwind. And as we're everything's beautiful, everything's going fine until we get in the flare. And like you said. The wind comes over the buildings and down, and inevitably, a beautiful-looking landing turns into a crash landing at the last minute. And uh, not too many people are clapping after that point. But it really, it, it's what we're talking about, obviously, is trying to stay safe, but it's also comfortable for our passengers. And and that's where I think going into all the different runways and practicing is a really good idea. Uh, when you're doing this at a field, you know, you need to ask the controller, or, or if it's a, you know, a non-towered airport, uh, just, you know, 
keep your eyeballs open and, and look out for traffic while you're doing this and let people know this is what you're doing and you're landing and say with a tailwind, that type of thing. Another thing that I, I think is important, and I'd like to hear from our instructors if you do this with your students, is landing with a tailwind is actually giving them that experience. You might not touch down, but giving them that experience as to what it's like to to land with a with a quartering tailwind. I'm, I'm curious, does anybody else do that? Russ? Uh, yeah, I've I've definitely done that. It's it's an interesting experience because you get that that ground rush, that increased uh, ground speed, and it it throws all your your aiming points off, and and it's just good to get that experience of what you know what do you need to do if you have to land with a tailwind. Now we don't go out with a twenty five knot tailwind probably, but uh, you know even a five knot tailwind is is pretty uh, seems really very different than than your normal headwind component. So I'm curious. We're you know we're talking crosswind landings, which also comes to and wind landings and limits. What is a limit, uh, Russ, on that you put on people as far as as a tailwind limit? Is it ten knots, fifteen knots? Is there a limit that you put on your students? Uh, I guess that would be zero knots. I okay. suppose. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I recommend they they try not to land with a tailwind at all. So, you know, I. I, I I guess I haven't haven't really set a a limit on tailwind. No. So so what's interesting, and and this is a good point for those that are going on and and flying often, or say want to do it for a career, you are going to fly and land with a tailwind at some point, and and some controllers know the the actual limitation in your operation, and it may be ten knots, it may be fifteen knots, uh, but there's a lot of calculating that goes on uh, when you actually are figuring out that tailwind, and also figuring out what you can do in a crosswind. And that's what we kind of are discussing here. How do we figure that out? We need to get up with an instructor and, and figure out what that limitation is. Also look at the pilot operating handbook and look at what the limitation is there for a tailwind and also for a crosswind. So there's some, some really good tools the FA has uh, as far as what your baseline is and what you can do with a, with a crosswind, with a tailwind, uh, and get out there and actually and practice with an instructor and make sure it's in a, in a very safe environment on that day that you're practicing, like Russ, you took out a student and say did a tailwind demonstration. Uh, you, I'm assuming, uh, did a good, very good briefing prior to this, which I think you should, right? Well, yeah, that would be part of the the pre-flight briefing, certainly. Yeah, what we're going to do and how we're going to handle it and how, what it's going to look like. You bet. And and I think a lot of times as instructors, we'll say, hey, let me show you something. And I, sometimes I think that's a, a, a we so want to do that with the students. Say, hey, let's do something. It should be planned prior to the flight and say, listen, this is what we're going to practice. We're going to practice tailwind landings. And we may not touch down, but we we want to see what it looks like and understand why we fly and land with a headwind. Because it's an eye-opener, like you said, Russ. It's a real eye-opener when you're rushing down the runway saying, oh, 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 boy, you know, I hope I get this thing on the ground before I go off the end of the runway. I mean, we've seen many different things in the news where, you know, experienced pilots, uh, airline pilots, have put their nose off the other end of the runway because uh, they've either held it off too long or landed with too much of a tailwind there. Um the other thing we talked about crosswinds. Remember, I, I alluded to you know there's a maximum or I talked about the maximum crosswind component on the ground, and and I'd like to hear from from instructors and everybody about this comment. You know, I had a uh, instructor tell me once, and I'm gosh, I, I don't want to point anybody out, but it was during a rating, an advanced rating, and the instructor told me that you know what are you doing putting your ailerons into the wind? You know, you're going to be an airline pilot someday. You don't need to do that. Uh, Russ and or Tom, I'll let you say. What, what would you say to that instructor? 
<laughs> what control surface would you like me to use to <laughs> hold the runway? <laughs> exactly. I mean, what is? I mean, there's. We are the bad part about this. And and Russ, what you know, if you had a, someone tell you that, I mean, I'm hoping that you would say something, or anybody would say something. Yeah, I I, I would have a. And, uh, a disagreement there, yeah. <laughs> certainly. Yeah. So I'm glad you have, you know, you guys just because it takes you. And notice with Tom's reaction, it, it takes you aside. That was my reaction. I was like, oh, but, oh, but what? Are you kidding me? And what we need to do is realize every every airplane is an airplane, no matter what the size is. It's an airplane. The ailerons are effective on every airplane. The rudder is effective on every airplane. We do crosswind takeoffs and landings in every type of plane, from a large jet to a 172 to a Piper Cub. And if we don't hold that crosswind correction, it's obvious, and we may not be flying down the center line of the runway, and it may not be a very well-controlled landing. And, if, and we've seen this, and we've noticed this in, in accident histories, not only on the general aviation side, but also on the airline side. So we need to definitely you know, look at that and say to ourselves, you know, why is this happening? Well, maybe it's our attitudes. Maybe that's the part we need to change is, is say to ourselves, you know, we need, we need to practice more, and we need to make sure that we are disciplined enough to always put in the proper wind correction when we're taxing with our students, when we're taxing by ourselves. And we try to become professional pilots no matter what we're flying. You know, we try to hold that to a, a certain level of professionalism. So getting back to the to actually the crosswinds, another a challenging thing, and, and I know I think Rush brought this up as far as different airports and, and turbulence, et cetera, it's it's not just down near the ground, is it? There are certain airports that at certain points within the pattern, we can actually have challenges flying into an airport. Uh, one example is uh, there's some airports in North Dakota that I've flown into, and South Dakota even, that you may have an issue uh, <laughs> bumping into a mountain or getting some incredible turbulence as you descend down. So we need to know what our maneuvering speed is on our aircraft, and we also need to know what we we need to do on the pattern, because the pattern may be put in place that it's a left-hand or a right-hand pattern because there are obstacles out there. So it's very important to study the winds in the area and also find maybe a local instructor. Another thing, too, and I don't know if anybody here has done much mountain flying, it's very important also, I think, to get checked out uh, and understand your wind limits and off airport landings, you know, say you're flying in Alaska, or you're flying, you know, in the wild, and also flying in those areas that have mountainous terrain. Uh, it's very important to get checked out with an instructor. Hey guys, has anybody has anybody done that by the way? Flown in the mountains anytime recently? Just curious because it's a lot of fun. It's a blast. yeah. I love flying in the mountains. I I learned to fly in Colorado, and then uh, immediately when I got done, we took a kind of a mountain flying course and. And I've, yeah, I, I love, I love the scenery and, it, and it's beautiful. Sometimes it gets a little bumpy, but, but you learn to, you learn where to fly and how to, how to mitigate those kind of things. And along the lines of wind, when not to fly, because it can get pretty rough when the wind speeds gets up there, especially, especially with the, you know, the, the taller peaks say in, in the, the Rockies or something. But, uh, but the Appalachians are, are pretty good, uh, turbulence makers too. So they're nothing to be, uh, nothing to laugh at either. Oh, no, no. And especially, you know, I, I've done a lot of flying in the Reno, Nevada areas, coming down over those hills. Uh, it can get pretty darn bumpy, and, and you need to slow up quite a bit. Uh, and flying into, you know, I do a lot of flying in Central America and South America. Uh, lots of big bumpy mountains out there. 
And you also have to be both aware of where your runway is and slowing enough for your approach and and also making sure you keep the runway in sight or not in sight because there's times when you actually won't see the runway. There might be a hill in your way as you're flying a pattern into an airport. So so there's some very, very challenging uh, airports out there when we consider wind. You know, let, let's go back to and, and let's kind of finalize this. We talked about, uh, you know, our, our minimums and how we set minimums, but let's use a, a few a few different things like our tools that we use for actually figuring out our crosswinds. So uh, I had one, but I think also, um, who was it, Tom, you have a tool that you use uh, as far as crosswinds are concerned. Let, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and um, this actually goes back to one of our uh, picks of the week that I did, uh, I don't know, a few months back. And what it was was uh, aviationweather.gov and their TAF and the board experimental thing that uh, that the um, Aviation Weather Service is doing. But when you go into the expanded view of this board, um, and by the way, this works with METARs as well, and I'll provide the links for these. It's aviationweather.gov, TAF, slash board, or you can do METAR slash board. But um, you go into the expanded version of this, and it will show you the runways of the airport that you put in there. And it'll show you what the headwinds are, what the crosswinds are, headwind um, gusts and crosswind gusts. And what I do is, is I have my students look at this before we fly so they understand what's going on when we're going out there and flying. And I have them go back and look at it as well and look at it over periods of time so that they can see the, the weather patterns themselves changing. And it's, it's actually a cool little tool to, to um, you know, kind of wrap your head around what you're seeing as far as numbers and then what it feels like in the aircraft. Interesting. How Now, does anybody have any tools for while you're in the aircraft? I know prior to... P- uh, flying, we have those planning tools. But how about how about in the aircraft? Is there any any general tools that you use uh, for calculating your crosswind components, etc.? Because I have one that's kind of interesting. I have kind of a rule of thumb that, okay. that I teach, and uh, it's, it's basically if the uh, wind is thirty degrees off the runway, it's the that the the, uh, the crosswind component is half the wind speed. You got which it. It is, and then if it's forty five, it's seventy five percent, and anything more than that, you can just it's all crosswind. So just a, just a quick uh, you know, a check on how, how uh, much crosswind you have. It's a rough estimate, but well, so, is, so is the wind speed and runway direction, right? Right, right. And that's, that's a good one. I, I, like, I like the fact that you were looking uh, at this and saying if it's 30 degrees, uh, you, you use that tool of where your nose is pointing relative to the runway, correct? And you said if it's 30 degrees, you basically have – it's 50%, right? The crosswind. So, so you're going, what, 100 right. knots? It'd be 50 knots, right? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. no? The, the runway direction. So if the, the, so if the wind's 20 knots from 30 degrees off the runway, then it's about 10 knots across. 10 knots, right. I said yeah. that backwards. Yes, you're right. Thanks yeah, for correcting yeah. me. But, the, but you now have 10 knots of, of a crosswind, so you have, you have that actual – so you know what it is. It's 20 degrees – excuse me, it's 20 knots. You take 50%. That's 10 knots. Thanks. Thanks for actually elaborating on that one. So anyway, the, the other thing we can look at is, of course, the, the wind sock, you know, and that has to indicate, you know, what, 15 knots at, at full, full length and uh, full, you know, uh, full uh, filled wind sock. So that's important to look at too. But uh, also, there's, there's many different cues outside our window we can look at for what the crosswind is. And Victoria, you had a couple of them. Yeah, uh, learning to fly in Michigan, uh, one good cue was uh, looking below at all the lakes. 
Um, if you see a little bit of white caps on the lakes, or you can also see which way the ripples were going on the lake, that could give you some cues. Um, smokestacks in Pennsylvania, I fly um, by some type of power plant all the time, and there's always, you know, billows of steam coming out of there. That gives you a good idea of where the wind is going and how strong it can be. If it's straight up, you know, it's a nice, beautiful, calm day. But if they're going directly at a, you know, right angle, the second they come out of the stack, you know, the wind is blowing. Right. And that's... uh that's also true, you know, at, at many of the airports that we fly into, we can look at not just a big lake, but uh, say you're next to any body of water or even cars driving down the run or the, the uh, roadways and all. It's, it's some really good visual cues out there. So thanks for that one. I, I think that's a great one. Also, by the way, there's a good, uh, and I have a link to this too, as far as your crosswind component and your aircraft indicated airspeed, you can actually figure out what that component is. It's a little guide you can take with you if you want in the airplane and figure out if you have a personal limit, uh, you can basically figure out what your limit's going to be uh, as far as the crosswind's concerned. Uh, but remember, that's that's a, a good. I like <laughs> I like Russ is the best that rule of thumb because a lot of times you're not going to start pulling out a, a chart, are you? When you start figuring these things out, you're just going to look down the runway and say, "Hey, can I do this?" What's the other the other rule of thumb, uh, which is very important? I think I'm not sure we've mentioned it even once yet. What's the other thing that we can do uh, when we're determining our our crosswind component and our maximum crosswind component? There's, there's a point during our flight where we can decide, we can figure out when we've exceeded that. And anybody want to guess when that is? When we're landing. You know, well, think- if you run out of, uh, run out of rudder, then you know exactly. you got, uh, you've exceeded it. <laughs> right, exactly. So what's the thing that we should always be ready to do then, Russ? Uh, go around, go of course. Around. Exactly. Go around. Go around. That is incredibly important. There are so many accidents that have happened, and we can look back at them, that have happened to people. And accidents that don't necessarily hurt anybody, but it'll hurt your pride and break your airplane, is running off the runway and hitting something because you didn't want to go around. I mean, we hear about that so often. It's the one tool that we can use is, like Russ just said, if we run out of rudder when we're landing, then it's time to go around. And I think that's a very important tool that we must, must use during our landings. There's also something interesting, and we haven't really gotten into this discussion much uh, because it's one of these technique issues. Uh, I'm kind of curious to hear from from both, from all the folks here, what they do and as far as landing is concerned. Do they do the one wing low? Do they slip? Or do they crab into a landing when they're going into a, a strip, any strip, anywhere? Is there a consistency? First of all, Russ, since you were talking, what what do you usually teach your students as far as crosswind landings? Do you do the one wing low or the slip? Or do you? Do it's all the one wing low slip. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't teach the crab at all. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's and, all the slip. And uh, and and what is uh, one of the advantages of doing that? Well, you're under control from a you know you can establish that crosswind correction from as soon as you turn on final and start working it in. Just adjusting from there as you go, and since the airplane is pointed straight down the runway, you don't have any dramatic maneuvering at low altitude to try to straighten it out the last moment. So I like that technique. Of course, uh, some passengers find it uncomfortable, I suppose, but, but at least it doesn't last very long, hopefully. 
Right, right, and that and that's it. That's interesting, and uh, because I do just the opposite, is um, I'm always doing the crab. I think that's one of the reasons I go from one thing to the next. Is you know, airlines we do not do a slip to landing. We obviously do a crab all the way down to the to the field, and then we take out that crab and do a slip uh, to landing at the last second, but uh, or last couple seconds, I should say. But it, like you said, it's more comfortable for the passengers to do that, and also on, on a, obviously a swept wing jet, we don't want to we don't want to slip into a landing. But yeah, it's uh, obvious. There's obviously some airframe limitations there, and 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 for right. the procedures you're going to use, sure. But but you know, again, it's all and this is technique we're talking about here. So uh, this is where this is the part of it where it's opinion more than anything else. Uh, I teach the the crab method to and then push on the rudder and put an ailerons to land. You and you need to just keep keep it consistent with whatever you're doing and what your your instructor teaches you. It's always good though to demonstrate you know what it's like both methodologies. So I do every time I'm with a student, I do both methods. Uh, Tom, what what is it that you do with your students? It's funny when you ask the question. I I was thinking the answer was yes, because uh, it, it it really is. It's it's situational, and and you know w- w- I'm surrounded by water. I live central west coast Florida. I have Tampa Bay on one side, the Gulf of Mexico on the other, and sometimes the winds are swirling. And you know one technique may work one day, and the other technique another day. And it's 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 about getting that feel and and finding out what it's going to be. Um, on that particular day, I try to teach both of them, but um, you know, more consistently than not, um, I think I'm more with you with the the crabbing method. It seems to work the best in this area, but the slipping method also works works as well. It depends, really. It does. Um, I found that um, you know, on really gusty days, and and you got a gusty crosswind, and you know, all of the other things that you guys were talking about, the hangers and 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 things that can cause the winds to swirl will dictate, you know, what, what's going to be the best way to put that down. And um, the consideration, Russ said it, it, said it uh, perfectly about having passengers in there. You know, passengers just don't like slipping very much. It gives them an odd feeling. So, you know, th- there's considerations um, that you as a pilot have to figure out as you're, as you're maneuvering down in a windy situation. So this is that, that kind of argument what's better, a high wing or a low wing airplane? You know, it's that, that whole technique. And uh, I think that's really important to decide what's best for you, what works for you, and, and do that and be consistent with it. But try out both, you know, and see which one ones you really like the best and what you enjoy and you feel is the best for you. It's really important to do that. I don't want to get any hate mail. I don't want to say to anybody, they're, they're both right, they're, they're both wrong, everybody's right. It's all dependent on your situation. I think that's really, really important to know. Uh, so we, you know, what's really interesting is that there's so much about flying that's, you know, it's subjective. I mean, it, you have to look at what you're doing, where you are, and, uh, and the situation at hand. Uh, there's a lot of different tools. We can have a long, really long discussion about crosswind landings, figuring out what your baseline is uh, for your crosswind. Get out there with an instructor. Figure this out. Go out there and practice. If you don't feel comfortable in your airplane uh, doing crosswinds, uh, get out there and, and, and ask someone to go fly with you. It doesn't necessarily have to be an instructor. It can be somebody with quite a bit of experience that has an airplane same as yours, and, and you just discuss it with them and say, hey, this is this is what I want to know. I want to know what you do in this situation with crosswinds. Have you ever landed in a, in a, uh, in a tailwind? Uh, but, but make sure it's briefed. Make sure you do it in a controlled 
environment. We're going to have links, by the way, to all these different tools. This de- actually, uh, this discussion again came from one of the FA safety seminars about your minimums. You know, your crosswind minimums, and uh, you know what what is what is the crosswind component? You know, what is your limits on that? You have to figure that out. I'm hopefully that this has started a discussion amongst you and your instructor and your friends, and that's what we're trying to do here. Get out there and and practice. And it's that time of year where we're going to see a lot of gusty winds. We're going to see a lot of really interesting fronts. And the weather gets kind of crazy. You know, we were just talking before the show, but that uh, up in New York and in the Boston area, they had snow. It's <laughs> it's springtime, and there's snow coming out of the sky. So this happens. Uh, the winds get kind of gusty after afterwards, and we have to be prepared for all that. Our Picks of the Week. Our picks of the week this uh, this evening is uh, first of all let's talk with uh, Victoria. You had something I thought was really really cool, and I've been kind of playing with the website a little bit as we've been talking. So tell us a little bit about your pick of the week. Yeah, um, the website I just stumbled across uh, last week was called Arcraft. Arcraft. Uh, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> Aircraftarchaeology.com. And um, I was actually researching that famous crash um, of two airliners over um, the Grand Canyon in 1956. And when looking up that accident, I stumbled across, across this gentleman who actually hiked to it. It took him three days and took pictures of how the crash site looks now. And it had some history of the crash. And it turns out he does this all over um, the Southwest. He hikes to these accidents and takes photos of what it looks like now. And he'll have a little bit of history about the accident and how he got to hike it. And that combines two of my favorite things, aviation, not aviation crashes, but aviation and hiking. Well, that's cool. I tell you, I, I, I'd like to do uh, some of those aviation hikes with you. We'll have to do a podcast on just hikes in aviation and what we can find in the woods. This is cool. The uh, But aircraftarchaeology.com is where you can find that. Uh, some really, really interesting uh, information out there. Uh, always fascinated about uh, with airplane crashes and, and even boats that sink and the Titanic, etc. It's kind of along, along those lines. And uh, Really, really cool stuff. There's actually some very good authors out there that have written about aircraft wrecks, etc. And there's some great stuff out there on, on Amazon. So we'll have a link to that on Amazon. Uh, thanks for that pick of the week. Our next pick of the week, it comes from Rick Felty. Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, mine is a, uh, a video uh, and then ultimately a series of videos um, that I stumbled upon on Facebook. But um, and I, 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 you know, shared it on on my page on Facebook. But um, I'll, I'll tell you, we can find it. Basically, it's X, it's um, it's a it's a video of um, an extra 300 LT, sort of basically skimming in and around clouds, and it's beautiful. And it's um, and as someone who, you know, worked a bit on trying to capture, you know, flying from a video point of view, it's it's very well done. There's there's a bunch of very likely GoPros or something like it mounted on, on, uh, on sort of wing edges and, and the, the, the cloud, the, the situation is perfect and, and it's just beautiful from all sorts of different directions. And you really get a sense of what it's like to, to sort of dance, you know, uh, acrobatic, a- aerobatically with, uh, the, you know, with clouds. And I will tell you that it's, it's easily findable on extraaircraft.com uh, on their video page. Cause that's, 
though it was on Facebook, that's where it kind of lives. And it's the one that the one I saw is called, uh, basically called can't find my way home. Uh, it's, which is a, a mu- the music that I think is, is in the video and it's just beautiful, but, but stumbling on that page of extra extras, a video page about their planes is just a whole lot of great videos. So you could, you could spend some time just watching video right there. Awesome. I love cool videos. That's, that sounds wonderful. And you described it very well. I'm excited to check that out. Yeah. So again, we'll have a link to it in the, in the show notes here. Thanks. Thanks a lot, cool. Rick. Yep. Uh, next up is uh, Russ. You have a really pertinent uh, pick of the week this week. Russ, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, it, it fits right in with our discussion we've been having about, about wind and crosswind and such. This is a website called windhistory.com. And it is a series of what's called wind roses for airports all across the country. It's you go to the website, and it's basically, uh, I don't know if it comes from Google, but it's basically the Google Maps type thing. It's a map of the U.S., and you zoom in. And as you zoom in, it gives little uh, wind history icons for airports. I assume that uh, the ones that uh, report METAR information. You click on them, and you can get even a, f- a much more refined version for each individual airport. So it tells you like what percentage of the time the wow. wind comes from <laughs> a certain direction and then what the speed is when it comes from a certain direction. So I'm looking at (laughs) incredible. I'm just, I'm looking at it. This is really cool. Isn't it neat? Wow. I'm looking at the one for Will Rogers world airport, KOKC here uh, in town. And, and I mean, sure enough, the wind comes from one of the southerly type directions about 50% of the time, which yeah, that matches with (laughs) what we all know who live here. Uh, then probably 20 or 30% from the north and the rest uh, from the side. So not, not a whole lot of variation. You go. I was talking about uh, Wright Brothers Airport in Dayton earlier, uh, where I've flown before too. And that one is a lot more circular, I guess you'd say. <laughs> the wind comes from the south, it comes from the northeast, and it comes primarily from the west. And Unfortunately, that runway runs... Uh, it's runway uh, two and, and twenty, so any wind from the west is a pretty strong crosswind. And, and this windrose shows that yes, there's a large percentage of the time the wind comes straight from the west. So if you wow. compare some of these windroses with the runway direction at the airports, you'll see well, a lot of these runways were oriented based on this type yeah. of information. So it's it's kind of neat to to kind of cross reference the runway numbers with the actual uh, wind direction. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm just looking at a couple airports I I flew into. Not th- not constantly but a few times and sure. invariably the runways i ended up with uh, being given from you know from the controllers line up exactly with with the preponderance of wind in this in this little diagram and it really it's like oh yeah that's the way i always had to come in not always but uh, that's pretty funny yeah <laughs> and and it, you can also have it i mean by default it shows you like the whole year of wind data and how but you can do oh, it by individual months and kind of cycle through them and it's just it's just a neat site to oh, kind of play yeah. around with and check out the wind history Oh, I'm going to get lost in this. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can. Cool. How far back does this go? Well, it does. I don't think it really set. Uh, I mean, I'm trying it, to figure you that can't out. say what was a win for, you know, 2012 or anything. It's just I, all history. I don't know. I would probably, maybe in the information on the site, it gives you the, yeah. the years, but I, I don't know. Wow. That yeah. is too cool. This is awesome. I, I'm looking at it now for Atlantic city and just, just a lot of fun, a lot of fun with that. Um, Cool stuff. Well, thanks for that pick of the week. And windhistory.com, we'll have a link to that. Uh, Next on our list is uh, Tom Frick. What is your pick of the week? 
Yeah, I don't know if mine's as cool as that one, but I have a, I have an app that I use. Um, it's called Flight Intel for Pilots, and um, it's it's something that I keep on my phone, and it's just awesome for just pulling up. You can get it for the Android, you can get it for an iPhone. Um, it's um, uh, got a lot of really good free stuff in it. There is a um, service he'll he'll take a donation and turn some other things on for you, um, but uh, for the most part, it's it's just at a glance, and you can put it in there for weather, so it'll pop up with weather uh, automatically. You can set it to do that, and to just go all nearby airports, and you can set it for up to fifty nautical miles. So, it just with just one button on uh, on my phone. I've got all the weather for 50 nautical miles around me and, you know, all that wind information and everything. And, and I can see what's trending and where it's going. And it's it's pretty cool to um, just for starting my weather investigations as I start uh, my flying day. So that would be a flight intel for pilots. Is that something that's a Android or is it, is it also available for the Apple? It is available for the Apple. It's a, it's available for iPhone. It's also available for uh, Android devices. Okay, cool. And we'll, we'll have a link to that. Yep, well, the link will be up, and um, you know the, it, you can click on an individual airport, and then you have METARS, TAFs, PIREPS, AIRMETS, SIGMETS, radar, satellite, prog charts, winds and temperature, winds aloft, significant weather, ceilings of visibility, icing, area forecasts, which are going away, but um, and, and just just that quick, I can I can rattle through all that stuff and and start, um, like I said, wrapping my head around the the neighborhood weather. Interesting, interesting. And do they have any additions to this app uh, that you can purchase on there? Do you know that? Um, there, there's other tools that are available in here. Um, the weather is is free. Um, the AFD is free. Um, there's an entire library. There's charts, scratch pads. There's an E6B that's uh, available with it. But a lot of the um, computing stuff that it does is uh, uh, services you got to pay for, and and it's nominal. It's it's um, I forgot what he charges a year, but it's it wasn't really that expensive at all. Interesting. Cool. Awesome. So Flight Intel for Pilots. We'll put a link out there for that. Uh, hey, Carl. Uh, yes, Real-time real follow-up. Um, I dug into it a little. The wind history thing is an is uh, data averaged from data from 2006 to 2010. So it's a four-year okay. chunk of data. So it's probably not rolling. They're probably not updating it, obviously, constantly, but... Anyway. That's a that's a good you know a good sample yeah. size that's for sure yeah <laughs> well thanks thanks for that follow up on that one for that windhistory.com. Um, let's see who else oh I have a pick of the week I almost forgot about myself it's not a website uh, Tom may help me out a little bit with this one it's uh, it's actually the 2016 Florida Airport Directory actually it's any any year it's a complimentary copy okay anybody that flies into an airport in Florida can pick this up. They have a spiral-bound book that's all the aviation airports in Florida, all airports, uh, military, uh, private. <clears throat> it's also general aviation. And what's really cool is one of my favorite airports is actually the general aviation airport of the year, and that's Witham Field. Uh, it's over in the Stewart area, and it's a really, really cool airfield. They have a wonderful air show there every year. Uh, what's neat about this is not only do you get the directory spiral-bound, they also give you an aeronautical chart. And it has the whole, all of Florida. It gives you uh, different places to go somewhat uh, in within the directory. It's not a, a comprehensive one there, but it, it gives you the different contacts for the Florida Department of Transportation. It also gives you air miles. It gives you information about all the military fields, filing your flight plan. has a little flight planner in the back. It also is neat. You can put notes in there. One of the thing I th things I think is really cool is the chart that you get, the fold-out chart that I get to take home with me and put up on my wall every year. It's a brand-new chart, and look at all the exciting places because 
I personally, uh, I feel Florida is the most wonderful place to fly. I love uh, being here and flying around the state. And I think it's really cool what they've done, giving this as a complimentary copy. If I, I don't know if you can get it online. Uh, Tom, I'm not sure if you've seen it online, and but you've seen it at most airports, I'm assuming. I have. I've seen it a lot. We have it, uh, we have it also at our flight school. Um, there's also good information on that chart that, that I like students to see. You know, there's uh, runway marking signs that are in there and um, things that help uh, explain some things that even students would get, uh, get um, use out of. So if you want to know how far it is from, like, Tampa to Miami, you can tell by air miles and figure out, do a little bit of a general planning. But it also has some cool links. Like you said, it gives you all the airspace space designations, uh, tower light gun signals, and runway markings. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, as far as using this for navigation, I'm not sure if you can or cannot. Um, I'd have to look at that there if it's a, a copy of the actual uh, charts. But it's a, it's cool nonetheless. It, it's not. It's it's lacking information that the okay. uh, the section have. Okay, good. Because I just picked that up today, the, the portion that looks like a sectional, uh, but it's still really cool. Uh, check out that website there, or excuse, I should say, check out uh, the, the freebies at the airports uh, in Florida. To get it, you need to fly to Florida. So come on down. As a matter of fact, a great way to do that is come see us at Sun and Fun, because I know they give out some of those uh, in at Sun and Fun, these directories. The After Landing Checklist. Speaking of Sun and Fun, before we close, that's going to be one of our, our big announcements. The next episode is going to be live from Sun and Fun. Uh, I'm actually uh, with Sun and Fun Radio. This year I'll be one of the directors there at the station. Uh, also joining us at the station is going to be Tom Frick will be there at the station. He, he volunteers every year. Tom, mm-hmm. what, it, what are you doing this year? I mean, you, you were jack-of-all-trades last year. Um, I think I've got another another fun year of jack of all trades. Let's see. I I, I edit um, interviews. I have run the production board. I sit on the deck and have been interviewed, done interviews. Um, I think I might do a little bit of directing this year as well. Cool. Um, we, you already mentioned the uh, mobile studio that we have, so hopefully we're going to get some great interviews and and some live airtime uh, out on the flight line this year. That that ought to be a hoot. It's going to be a blast. Uh, you know, what's going to be really cool is uh, being able to also have Russ. Russ is going to be uh, joining us. I, I hope you're still planning on coming down, Russ. I'll be there. I'm not exactly sure what I'll be doing. It'll be my first year volunteering down there. In fact, my first year of Sun and Fun period. So I'm really looking forward to it and uh, helping out and seeing what it's all about. Well, big shout out to Dave Shalbetter, who's actually the person who's the chairman of Sun and Fun Radio. He'll hand you a microphone and say, start talking. And uh, that's what he did okay, to me I'll last year. So be, be ready for that. And, uh, you know, he, he's put me up on there on the on the deck for hours and hours at, at a time. And, of course, I get to sit there and talk aviation for eight hours in a day, and I just absolutely love it. Uh, I probably won't be doing as many field interviews as I've done in the past. I think Dave does it on purpose to keep me out of the field uh, because I kind of do a, go a little bit overboard on the interviews and uh it's going to be a lot of fun i know also live we're going to have a couple people i think uh uh we're going to have victoria i think you might be joining us live i hope this year and also yeah oh cool and uh and also rick hopefully will be joining us too this year live uh from sun and fun radio yeah definitely it'd be a lot of fun so go to s sun-n-fun.org check it out uh, and also, folks, we really appreciate your listening to us uh, this evening. And I hope you've learned a little something. And I hope this has challenged you to go forward and look at what your crosswind limitations are. From myself, from Russ, from Rick, Victoria, and Tom, safe flying, and we'll talk to you next episode. 
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.